I'm here with Howard Taylor, cartoonist, writer, and part of the Hugo Award-winning podcast, Writing Excuses. Uh, thank you for doing this, Howard. So let's get started with, uh, you've been creating uh, the Schlock Mercenary web webcomic for a number of years. You've written a number of novels for uh, Privateer Press and had several short stories in various publications. So it's fair to say a lot of people know who you are, but can you tell us a story about yourself that our listeners may not know? <laughs> okay, story about myself that the listeners may not know. Um, I was 25 years old and engaged to be married and realized that I needed a job. And so I, I got a job at a telephone sales place and worked for half a day. And then came home and called my fiance, who is now my wife, Sandra Taylor. Uh, I called Sandra in tears and said, I just can't do this. And I don't know that that is the last time in my life where I completely gave up on something, never to return to it. Uh, but it's certainly one of the most memorable moments. All right. Now, when you're working with uh, Privateer Press, you're working with a universe that's not your own. Can you tell us some of the challenges that you encounter because of that? Sure. I have, I've talked about this before. Uh, I believe that one of the experts in this field is Kevin J. Anderson. And he said that when you're writing in somebody else's universe, you are like Lando Calrissian in Return of the Jedi. Uh, you have been loaned the Millennium Falcon, and Han Solo has just told you, don't scratch it. And your job is to go out and blow up a Death Star with it. Uh, you are taking somebody else's intellectual property. You need to do something awesome and you need to return it to them intact. Uh, that goal, you know, th those, those objectives are paramount. The secondary objective is, uh, well, I mean, depending on, uh, why you write and how much you write. The second objective is to enjoy what you are doing, to be engaged enough in it that you are excited about it. And for many people, those two are contradictory because for many people, they are only excited when they are adding something, adding world building to somebody else's universe. And that's not something you typically get to do with someone else's intellectual property. The, uh, for, for the folks who are who are able to reconcile that, uh, when you can uh, when you can get enthusiastic about it without having to world build, um, it it becomes to, to my mind anyway unmitigated delight because you get to get inside the heads of characters who are in a space that you love and you get to make them do things for money. But you, <laughs> you have to keep that first objective in mind and you have to keep that, uh, that second point, that second obstacle uh, clear. How did you get connected with Privateer Press? Well, I've been playing their games since 2006 and a uh, writer-editor named Scott Taylor had been contracted by them to build the Skull Island Expeditions imprint uh, Scott was familiar with, uh, with Larry Correa's work um, and knew that Larry Correa was a, a Privateer Press fan, and he asked Larry, uh, are there un any other Privateer Press fans in your, you know, little friends group of writers? And he said, why, yes, there are. And uh, Dan Wells, Rob Wells, me, Steve Diamond, uh, several other people um, 
were reached out to by Scott uh, as a result of that. Um, so, you know, that was how I first got connected with them. Uh, once they pulled Skull Island Expeditions back in-house, uh, Aaron Riddell and I uh, kept in touch and he, you know, threw new projects at me and I kept writing them because I, I really love their setting. Okay, switching gears a little, you recently started working on RPG. Can you tell us about that? Sure. The Planet Mercenary role-playing game is a role-playing game set in the Schlock Mercenary universe. And the central conceit of the role-playing book is that this book is published by the Planet Mercenary uh, retail company for the use of grunts in mercenary companies. It's an old-timey pencil-and-paper RPG built just like they used to build them back in the early 21st century, designed to trick grunts into reading about the places they might go, the aliens they might face, the weapons they might use, and the circumstances under which they'll probably die. Um, the, uh, <laughs> with that conceit in mind, the book functions both as a really good uh, role-playing system core book and a source book for people who just want to learn more about the schlock mercenary universe. Uh, what unexpected challenges had you encountered in working with uh, the, the role-playing game? <laughs> what unexpected challenges? Wow. Um, the, the, biggest, the biggest challenges we have faced are that uh, I am still a bottleneck. We tried to build this so that I wouldn't be, but because I am doing most of the fluff writing and I am also being the art director, uh, I am a bottleneck because until I have written certain pieces, I can't actually ask for art uh, describing those pieces. Um, but at a, at a high level, everything that we've, we've seen as challenges with that project uh, has been stuff that we expected to see as challenges and we had plans in place for. Is it at all similar to what you did with XDM? Um, it is a little bit similar to Extreme Dungeon Mastery in that what we are building by Extreme Dungeon Mastery is a, a, a role-playing supplement by Tracy Hickman, which I illustrated and which uh, Sandra and I, uh, under the, the imprint name Hypernode Media, published. Um, it is similar in that it is much lighter weight than uh, you know, heavy physics simulations like uh, like Pathfinder and like GURPS. We wanted to build a role playing game that was more about uh, joint storytelling and role playing, and so we used some mechanics that we'd seen in other games and chained them together in some new ways, so that players are encouraged to enjoy failing during the course of the adventure that they are having, um, and their failures will will help them learn and help them grow, not just as player characters, but also as players. The players learn to play together effectively during the game, and it's kind of beautiful to behold after, you know, game session two, game session three, when your players, instead of sitting around the table and staring at the map and staring at the dice and staring at their character sheets, will start snapping instructions at each other quickly, almost as if they are a well-oiled company of uh, mercenaries, almost. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. We've, we've played it a couple of times, and 
uh, and putting that together, uh, building it so that it was playable and enjoyable, so that it has a reason to exist beyond just the fact that it's a thing set in my universe. Um, that was a that was a huge challenge, and I'm happy to report that, according to the players we've tested with, uh, we've we've passed that test. We've met that challenge. Okay, that's good to hear. Uh, have you given any thoughts to making a uh, schlock novel length work? I have. Uh, I tried it, uh, tried a little bit of it um, oh, seven or eight years ago, and was told by my alpha readers that, wow, this just sounds like a footnote. And I realized, well, it did just sound like a footnote. I didn't know how to write prose at the time. Um, I certainly will write something. Uh, I, I will do. I will tell some schlock mercenary stories in prose form, but I want to write other prose first, so that I know that I have established a skill set that works for prose before I start trying to deploy those skills on a property that has been comic-based for so long. So when you first started Schlock Mercenary, it was basically a one-man operation. You still do all the art and script, but you hired other people to do some of the other things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, well, for starters, um, it's never been truly a one-man operation because from the very beginning, I had the encouragement, the support, and the alpha reading uh, help from Sandra Taylor, my wife. Um, and today, she is the biggest single partner in the project. Uh, her alpha reading is critical. You know, if, she's, if she has left the house and I am writing, I cannot start drawing until she has come back and she has gone through the scripts and we have looked at them together and we know that they are right. Um, uh, slot number two, in terms of critical importance, is Travis Walton, uh, who, who actually gets higher billing than Sandra does. Uh, he, handles the, uh, he handles the coloring. When we've been nominated for Hugo Awards, it was uh, my name and Travis's name on the ballot. Um, not quite fair to Sandra, and in, and in retrospect, you know, we, should be, we should be including her as more than just the editor in these projects. Um, but uh, Travis handles all of the, co the coloring. Um, uh, Gary, I only know him as Tarlem online. Gary Henson, uh, of plus 14 has handled a lot of backend coding and web design for us, uh, as has, uh, the folks at Sequential Grid. Um, I do not do any of the web design, web coding things. That's, I, I, you know, I, I could. That's a thing I could learn to do. It's a thing that I originally thought I would be learning to do, but I would much rather, uh, I would much rather write and illustrate. Um, and then when we do, when we do, you know, big book shippings, uh, Sandra has the Hypernode Media core of volunteers who will come and help us, you know, put books in boxes and put address labels on boxes and ship out 2,000 packages in the course of one day. Um, in order to in order to fulfill orders. Okay, you studied music in school. Does that have any effect on your uh, art and writing? Um, yes, but probably not in the way uh, most people would think. Uh, definitely not in the way that I originally thought. Uh, when I was studying music, I saw music in everything. You know, all the patterns of all kinds of things were to me musical, or at least suggested music. Um, 
what I learned in studying music, the, the most important things that I learned were that uh, the art that I was, the, the medium that I was in love with at the time, music, was something that I could learn to be better at and it was an iterative process. And that the things that I created, uh, even though I was in love with them, were not done until they themselves had been through an iterative process. I never spent as much time refining my music as I've spent refining my art, refining my writing. But the act of refining things, the understanding of how the refinement process works, was something I first learned as a musician, and that skill has served me well. Okay, as someone who creates a funny web comic, people might have expected your writing to go into a similar direction, maybe something in the Terry Pratt to Douglas Adams sort of way. Was that ever a consideration? Uh, well, yeah, I, I like to I like to write humorously, and if you've read um, if you've read my Space Eldritch work, which is horror, if you've read my Privateer Privateer Press work, which is uh, fantasy adventure fiction. Um, you will find that the, you know there's humor in it. The the uh, uh, the clever wordplay, the um, the things that characters think that are uh, surprising or at odds with the circumstances that they're in. Um, that sense of humor, if you will, uh, is a is a constant piece throughout my work. Um, humor at its core is an exercise in causing other people to have a metabolic reaction that we know as laughter. Um, that, uh, that goal to cause a metabolic reaction in other people, uh, is similar in other sorts of, uh, in, you know, other sorts of work. If you're writing horror, you want people to get chills. If you're writing romance, you want people to get different kinds of chills. If you want people to, if you want people to react to what you've written, to what you've created, you have to know that that is what you are trying to do. Uh, and being good at humor has shown me, uh, you know, similar to what I said about music earlier, um, that, that the act of writing something and creating something so that someone else will have a reaction is something that I can improve on, that I can polish. It's something that's possible. It's something where great examples of it can be found uh, for me to learn from. Um, so while I'm not writing comedic novels, uh, the comedy training I've had, uh, you know, underscores, it underscores everything that I create. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you, along with uh, Brandon Tennyson, Dan Wells, and Mary Robinette Kual are part of the Hugo Award-winning podcast, Writing Excuses. But this year, you're doing something a little different with it. You're doing the, the master courses. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, season 10 of Writing Excuses, we wanted to do something special, and we wanted to, well... I say, and we did not want to have it be just another season. We talked at great length about what we could do to make season 10 different. And because Brandon is a, you know, he is a professional educator. He works at Brigham Young University teaching a uh, creative writing class. Um, Mary has taught, you know, you know, done school visits and taught. Uh, Dan and I have both been to school. <laughs> um, we decided that we would create something that could actually be described in a syllabus uh, 
as a as a year-long masterclass that walks our listeners through the process of creating their novel. Um, and we broke each of the 12 months down into a specific, specific topic uh, as of, well, I, I don't know when, when uh, this recording will air, but the last three months of the year are endings and then revisions and then showing your work around. And, uh, and we have episodes queued up for uh, each of those, queued up and recorded for each of those, so that uh, we are on topic for a couple of episodes each month uh, on, you know, say, endings, how to write good endings, how to, uh, how to know when your ending isn't working, that kind of thing. Um, we also did some Q&A episodes on those subjects. And then just to keep things fresh and mixed up a little bit, we have wildcard episodes each month. Uh, the the fourth uh, one of the one of the four weeks of the month is a wild card episode, which might be a guest episode, might be us, uh, you know, rambling about something completely different. Um, it's been lots of fun for us, and the response we've seen online has been overwhelmingly positive. People are really, really liking it. So two years ago, the podcaster started the Out of Excuses Retreat, which went on uh, Mary Robinette Kowal's uh, family's property for two years. Uh, but this year, it's been moved to a cruise ship. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, at a high level, we knew that we wanted to have a retreat that allowed us to hang out and write and talk in person in a, in a less formal setting. Um, Mary is good at organizing these kinds of things. Uh, that's a terrible, terrible understate. Mary is a fantastic event organizer. She's brilliant in this regard. And she put this together uh, on her parents' property. Um, and it ended up, you know, with, with the expenses and what, what we needed to take home and what the, uh, you know, what we needed to pay for the, uh, you know, upkeep on the property and, and so on and so forth. Uh, the cost per student ended up being right around uh, $1,100, $1,200. But we couldn't keep, uh, we couldn't keep the property locked down for that during, during the months that we wanted it because it's not Mary's property. It's her parents' property. And she shares it with, uh, uh, you know, Mary shares access to it with uh, her, her siblings and, uh, and other family members. So we talked about what other venues might be available. And Mary said, we should try a cruise ship. And Brandon and Dan and I all responded with, there's no way we could afford to do a cruise ship, which is the wrong answer always. The right answer is to, to that sort of a question, how much would it cost to do on a cruise ship? And, uh, you know, we, we assumed it was not possible. Mary assumed that we should go get an answer. So she went and got an answer. And the answer was $1,200 per person uh, would make this function the same way the retreat functioned and allow us to have more people, uh, uh, more people there. So, so writing excuses is going to be on a cruise ship. And I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. What are you working on now? Um, well, this moment, I'm uh, I'm working on a podcast interview with my friend Gamma Martinez. Um, following that, uh, I'm probably going to go get something to eat. That was not the question you asked. I'm sorry. I'm just being a 
being a wise guy. Uh, right now, I'm working on the Planet Mercenary role-playing game. I'm writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and doing art direction and writing some more and uh, refining the rules with Alan, who's our, uh, our game designer. Uh, that project is something I'm being paid very, very well for because we ran a successful Kickstarter for it, and I absolutely need to deliver. So that is priority number one. Um, I'm also always working on the comic strip, which uh, updates online, and any other projects that you may or may not have heard me being involved with are taking a backseat, probably a distant backseat to those two. All right, thank you. Well, that was all I had for you, Howard, so thank you for doing this interview. Thank you for having me, Gamma.